This is the IOTEX Ecosystem Podcast, where we highlight top projects building the connected future. IOTEX envisions a world where billions of devices and decentralized applications seamlessly merge the digital and physical worlds, all while preserving privacy and financially empowering everyday users. Today's show features Roseanne Warmerdome of HealthBlocks. Roseanne got her master's in biomedical sciences from Leiden University in 2013. In 2019, she co-founded HealthBlocks, which is the company at the center of this conversation. HealthBlocks is a blockchain ecosystem built using IOTEX's open source tech stack, in which you can generate, store, exchange, and analyze your health data in a trusted manner. You can download the alpha version of the HealthBlocks app on the iOS app store. We, we learned so much about diseases, but we never learned a lot about health mm. and how does a healthy body look like and how does that work and how can we set up for prevention and not only in society and everything that comes with it, but also more from a biomedical perspective. How can we use the power of data and also like more of those innovative and technology also for a preventative side of things. And now I can talk a little bit easier about it because when I was studying it was all like pretty fake, but I had the feeling that I was missing out on this prevention, but it wasn't that clear yet. We didn't have wearables or iWatches or Apple watches or anything yet. But that was kind of set me off from the end of my studies to to learn more about prevention and also, yeah, kind of like, I think a live mission, how can we keep people healthy and how can we create more health on a global scale? I think that was kind of like setting my brain from when I left university towards the rest of my career so far. Yeah, because prevention to me, if you look at the health system and the history of medicine, there's a few major advances that have transformed human health, which is sanitation, and maybe antibiotics, penicillin, and everything else is a marginal improvement outside of prevention. When did you realize that prevention was where you wanted to focus your career? That is a really good question. I don't know why another crazy fascination on, on big problems in the world. Mm. And when the chronic diseases, that is that was something that we discussed a lot during my studies as well, the, the upcoming, the rise of chronic diseases, mm. uh, obesity, heart failure, anything that comes with it, and it, it is just preventable. I don't believe that in 21st century, anyone has to die from a heart attack because we can sense it. We can see it coming. It, it's developing for 10 to 15 years, and now we're waiting for somebody to collapse, and then within six minutes, you have to act, and somebody has to be on the right, at the right place at the right time to be able to, to get somebody back. And that is kind of like... So the chronic diseases and the, the rising of the enormous rise of chronic diseases and it's covering up all the healthcare systems all around the world. That is, I think, one of the major issues in our healthcare systems is that it's just cluttered by chronic diseases. And I think now the solution-wise, so we talk, I think for a long time already for a decade, we were talking about about the problem. And we didn't talk a lot about the solution. And now I think with the upcoming of data technology, Web3 also a little bit, but also the IoT devices in the healthcare space, uh, I believe we can talk a lot more about solutions instead of only about the problem. Although the problem is also very society driven. We have to think about prevention doesn't happen in the doctor's office, to be honest. It happens at the supermarket mm. or in our bike lanes. If we are able to bike or have to take the car, it, it is happening in our day-to-day -day life and 
it is now very hard to, to have a healthy lifestyle in our Western society. So that is one thing, but we cannot we cannot solve that, also not with the, with the project that we are working on. But we can do something with, with the data, I think, and also the upcoming rise of IoT and health. Yeah, that application of instant response to heart attack, where sensors can detect if you're imminently at risk of a heart attack and take steps to prevent it. That's, I believe, the number one killer, at least in the West, is heart ahead of cancer, right? It's, yeah. yeah, number one. So that's amazing. And that's actually not a lifestyle. That's not preventative. That's responsive. That's just increasing the sensitivity of the response and the speed of the response using technology. So let's, let's get there. Let's talk about where you first saw technology as your path. You're young, you're open-minded, you got into crypto. There's probably not that many people in the health field that know that much about Web3. That's not a major crossover area where it probably should be. So where did you go from biomedical to crypto? How did you first hear about crypto? Uh, that was, we first heard about crypto back in 2017, 2018, when the boom of a lot of people that are not like really taggies also got to know about blockchain and, okay. and Bitcoin and Ethereum and everything. And yeah, on a private level, we got interested and, and kept on reading about it. And I think that's a, that's a good thing when you have like a purpose in your life as well. You, you start relating it directly. So we, we just started relating it to the problems that we wanted to solve in healthcare. And I say we because um, the co-founders of HealthBlocks, um, with two others as well, we okay. also co-founded another company, also in the preventative healthcare space, but not tech-driven. It's really a community-based uh, project that we are doing. But we started relating it. Like, how can this... Because our dream is to have, or I believe, truly believe, in a digital infrastructure for prevention and data-driven infrastructure. And then with, with Web3 and blockchain came up, it seems like a possibility to have a way better data management about your health that can help prevention, but also, as you said, like way more to the predictive side of things. That is where I truly believe in, like the prediction of our health also in the future based on the data that we are logging in from our life already early on. So that was kind of like 2017, 2018, but it was pretty hard because there wasn't like a lot of projects out there but the greatest inspiration to be honest came from iotex yeah. uh, right from the start we got in touch with them i think almost the moment that they launched on, on binance i think that was already around that time uh, directly and Rowland and, and larry and jing they we had a lot of chats with them and they really helped us to understand what is web3 and what's going on and yeah. i do remember a conversation that we were having with Rowland and he told us, guys, maybe not people will be the users of blockchain or the most impactful users of blockchain, but it will create a way for machines to be involved and have smart contracts with each other and creating a machine to a machine and machine to people economy. And for us, it can't realize what kind of like a future and new type of economies could evolve around technology like this. Mm-hmm. And when they start relating into our, our area, we started to see like a picture of an ecosystem that could help in that. And from our previous search in, in, in the years before, we knew one thing for sure. And that is if we wanted to build an innovative solution, we wouldn't be building it in a healthcare space because mm-hmm. healthcare is the worst place to be innovative. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what we wanted to do is, is 
stay away from healthcare as long as possible and focus on prevention on lifestyle mm. making a very cool project user base user friendly and then start building bridges towards healthcare so we a lot of people ask what do you want to talk to to healthcare professionals and everything and we know them pretty well and not for now we're starting outside of healthcare <laughs> mm. yeah so let me just ask you more about health blocks specifically so HealthBlocks, what is the mission and the vision of HealthBlocks? And maybe tell me about who your co-founders are as well and why you came together. Yeah, so the funny story about our co-founder is that we're with the three of us, uh, Ryan, Dan, and myself. And we are kind of twisted family company because Dan is my youngest brother oh. and Ryan is my partner. And we already founded another company together as well. So we're working together for over mm. six years now and, and it's going pretty good. Like we all come from a different background. So I'm from biomedical scientist. Ryan did his master's in science, business and innovation. So more physics and how to bridge the gap between the physics and the market and new innovations. And Dan is, has a master in master degree in philosophy and politics. Awesome. Yeah, and, and we just love to discuss things in life around those subjects like innovation, like healthcare, and yeah. also ethics, politics. Yeah. And uh, we share a lot of lot, lot of the same passions. We go out surfing a lot together. And surfing. So yeah, uh, in nice. the Netherlands as well. Yeah, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> it's pretty cold out here, though. <laughs> <laughs> What's it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it all, all year long. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we kind of see the same problem from different angles nice. and have our own contribution to that. So we, we like that about it. And when we started Health Logs, we, yeah, as I said, we truly, we know a lot about the healthcare sector in the Netherlands, but also in, in other European countries. And we are like, you know, we, we have to do better. And also, if you look at the mission and the vision of Health Logs, our our mission is to unlock the value of health data and then relate it to the IoT data. So data from our wearables and all the data that we are collecting in our day-to-day -day lives. And our vision is that data tells a lot, it tells a great story. It tells a story about the past, the present, but also the future of our health. And I think that we don't realize how valuable that can be. And I know we can argue that maybe the data, the quality of the data nowadays, it may be not good enough to mm. uh, say something about predictive value in the future. But I'm pretty sure that within a couple of years, maybe five, maybe 10, the sensors that we are carrying in and around our body or measuring our day-to-day -day lives will be of such quality that it will have a great impact. Mm. And as we just were discussing with uh, with the heart attack, I'm a true believer that one day a Nobel Prize of medicine will not go to somebody who invented a medicine or, or find something, but someone who found an algorithm hmm. in maybe a sensor, a heart sen a heartbeat sensor hmm. uh, in, in an Apple Watch or just a regular wearable that can detect um, an alteration in a heartbeat that hmm. can, can predict a heart attack in one or two years time. I, I I hope we are getting there. It's still a long way to go. It's, it's, as I said, it's not an innovative business at all, the healthcare, but I believe that we are getting there. Wow. That's a fascinating prediction that a Nobel Prize will be awarded to the inventor of an algorithm or maybe an algorithm itself. That would be interesting. That's exactly. a really interesting you, prediction. Yeah. 
Fascinating. Yeah, that's a fascinating prediction. And I agree with you. I don't know much about the health space, but the logics is sound there. And let's let's talk a little bit about data privacy, right? Because there's an incredible regulatory apparatus around the medical privacy and data. And that's a problem for researchers and for developers. I remember in 2016, one of the first applications in crypto I ever heard about was from David Hausler, who was the head of the Human Genome Project at UC Santa Cruz. And he wanted to use Ethereum to de-silo genomics data from hospital systems, individual hospital systems, to create a global data set of, of anonymized individual data that researchers could tap into. And the key here is privacy preservation because individuals, it's a very sensitive data set and it can hurt them if there's uh, insurance, specifically in a private insurance system like the United States. So where do you, where does privacy fit into this? How do you ensure privacy preservation while financially compensating users for their data? Yeah, that is a very, that is very valid point and still pretty hard because the laws that are out there now are not like built for. So what we want to do is we want to give ownership and control back to the user, right? We want to have data ownership back to the user and giving the user the opportunity and the control, like how will my data be used in research, for example, am I willing to, to in a confidential way, share my, my DNA information or anything else with, with a third party. But the legislation that is up there now is based on that an entity, like for example, a corporation or a company owns that data and then has some regulations in place uh, to prevent giving away the data in a way that the user will be. But if you have an NS1, like I am the, the owner of the data, the legislation doesn't really see it like that. Do I have autonomy to share with whom I wanted to share with? Huh. It, that is kind of the case in, in Europe now with the GDPR and everything. And um, there are some pilots running, but that if you do confidential computing and get the AI to the data instead of the data to the AI, uh -huh. who is then the data handler? That is a really open question because the legislation is made for the data handlers. Uh -huh. So the, I think that is, that is that is still like out in the open uh, yet. I, I am, I believe that we should make it shareable. I do believe in a more open system, but we have to be assured that the confidential, that it can be done in a confidential way. I think that is very important. And I believe that when it's shared, it should be shared by the user and not by a big tech corporation Absolutely. or for example, a DNA company like 23andMe right. that has all that information in the back end and just earns quite a lot of money on it. And also the value of that data should flow back to the user. That would be the most fair system, but you have to be very cautious to make sure that it cannot be used against you by, for example, insurance companies. So mm. there's still some work out there to, to solve those, some of those issues. So I noticed when downloading your app and signing up, you're using mainstream sensors like Fitbit, which is owned by Google, Garmin. How do you separate the data generated by Fitbit in Google's databases and give it to users? How does that process actually work from the user side? Yeah, so we are now kind of starting, we have to have a starting point, right? So we are now kind of like in a hybrid model that you 
can connect your wearables to uh, to help logs and we create a decentralized identity for you a link to the iotex blockchain nice so what we can basically do is, is make a copy of the data that is um, there in your Fitbit or any other wearable. And then we put that in your decentralized identity and give you like, you have kind of a copy in which you have not yet the full ownership, but you will have more control over it. That's yeah. like the starting point, which we are taking now. But of course, in the future, we want to move towards, or we believe, and I hope the market moves towards that as well, that more trusted devices will come to, to the market in which the user would directly own the data and we don't have to go through that loophole but i think that will be not in the near future but i think it will come there and for some people it's not a big issue that also the other companies also owns the data but i think if you can make it sound like a mirror image of it then you can have some of the benefits that the big corporations have are having as well you can take back at least some control and uh, exactly. negotiating power which uh, is really fascinating because a DID, a decentralized identity, in this case, essentially acts as a data locker where the user has the only key. In this case, Google has one as well, but it's a separate thing. So how does this actually work from the user's standpoint? How much can they make? How much is that data worth? That is kind of like the one million dollar question that we are that we are trying to solve it with help. We have to we have to take into account that it has different components. So when you have all the data in your in your data locker, as you said, then our question is for help. Like how can we help people to utilize? How can we make it valuable for them in in two ways? How can we make it valuable to improve your health, which is near to our hearts more than maybe even, but another interesting point, of course. How can we make sure? it increases the value, uh, monetary value. How can that flow back to the user as well? So for the, so to make sure that will happen, we kind of created a whole ecosystem model in which you have different components. First is rewarding for healthy lifestyle, which is kind of like the move to earn, live to earn, um, all the two earns that we, that we know got to know in the, in the past year. So people can earn health tokens by completing, can be like filling in a questionnaire or walking 10,000 steps or burning calories or completing a sleep goal. Can be all kinds of things. Uh, then you'll get rewards in, in tokens. So there's like a rewarding mechanism in there, but then there will also be other components. I'm most excited about is the opportunity to create health services. So it's going to become like an app store model in which third parties can offer their health services to help those users. Hmm. Um, and you can pay in, in the tokens as well, and then you can help it to increase your own, um, health. And we also want to incentivize the third parties, which can be, for example, independent uh, AI builders that, that maybe have the Nobel prize worth, uh, algorithm to, to analyze your heart rate, um, and say something about it to create that and. They don't have to create their own app or doing their own marketing. They can just use our ecosystem to, to get to the right people. And then another important point is the data exchange. Like, can we create like data pools, data requesters, how we call them, which can be research institutes or hmm. uh, can be companies that want to do market research or anything that they want to set out a query on, on the data that the collective of Helplot has. Uh, and if you want to opt into that data pool, you can, uh, you will share your, your data privately or confidentially, uh, and you get a, a portion of the health rewards. So I think that is also one of the main difference between Helblogs and some of the move to earn projects is that we have a more like an ecosystem approach. So it's not only rewarding people for healthy behavior, 
but we do really are putting a lot of effort to create an entire ecosystem in which the health, the health tokens, but also the improvement of health is achieved by our users. Wow. So the main question, what is it worth? So if you ask me, I, I believe that, that for completing the health goals, you should get a reward, but not as high. I believe the rewards uh, like that we are seeing nowadays with, with some of the move to earn projects are, are way too high to, to keep people motivated. It's not normal to get like $30 for, for running a, a couple of months, right? I, I, it's not sustainable in my opinion. Because our for us the users should get the most money by by sharing their data, right? By by the data exchange or by the the interactions that they are having with third parties. Yeah. So I think that is where the most of the value lays. Yeah, yeah. No, I love this is a huge vision, and I love it because it stays true to the actual vision of crypto, which is essentially collectivized financialization and financial action, and endowing users with power in a way that they never had before in, in a centralized system. And you've alluded to step in and what we saw with the Solano ecosystem where, if we're being frank about it, this is a, is a, a pyramid scheme, which is fine. Pyramid schemes, they work, they can scale. In some cases they can even be sustainable, but it's not contributing real technical value. And it's not really contributing any fundamental value to the ecosystem, in my opinion. It's a cool factor. And when we, when in 2016, when I first got into crypto, the idea that crypto could be cool, that rappers like Snoop Dogg would be into this, that would have seemed ludicrous, right? And people are it was step in basically buying $2,000 NFT shoes. And there's this kind of like rapper cool ecosystem around it that is again, just detached from core contributions to uh, the technical space around crypto. So you guys are doing it the right way. No question about it. This is an amazing vision that you have. So what, do you think? what, what I think a fair reward would be? Well, yeah, completing health goals, like for example, 10,000 steps. What would be something that, you know, is the edge of keeping you motivated, mm. but also... Yeah, this is an interesting question because the idea that people need a financial incentive to take care of their health is already a weird concept to me, right? Because for me, health is intrinsic, right? It's like you feel better. It's its own reward. It sounds silly. Like we're talking about people maybe on the margin who, for whatever reason, maybe don't feel that intrinsically motivated. But if you add a little bit of financial incentive, they're pushed into it. And the bigger that financial reward is, the larger that margin is, the more people you're going to get into it. Now, the more the merrier, if it's a government initiative, they'll fund it and hopefully improve public health that way. But what do you like? I know there's data out there. They've done research studies where they've enlisted participants and given them X amount of money to exercise. Is there any conclusive data about how much money equals how much benefit? It's pretty hard because it's the, the data is, is pretty set apart. We know that we asked a lot of people, of course, in, in the past couple of months. Yeah. And we know there's a big difference between the people that we are asking that are familiar with the Web3 space. They're saying, like, there's 10 or 15 boxes. It's a good price. They're a little greedier, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then people that are not familiar with the space and like the just normal people that are using their wearables and, and are, they are very happy if they would get 50 cents or $1. Yes, or, anything. Or, uh, yeah, anything. Yeah. So that is like a very funny thing that we're seeing, but what we do know from the data, more than 300 million people worldwide are using a wearable on a daily basis, but most people 
lay them off already after six months of use mm. uh, because they have to feel they got all the value out of it. On average, how many steps you're taking in a day in the office or when you're in the weekends and, and going outside. If you had a good or bad night of sleep, um, if your heart rate is going up or down, if you had a couple of drinks. And they also feel kind of like a little bit spied on that if they are not doing their kind of like a good lifestyle and they are watching me, they know mm. what I'm doing. So people get demotivated and, and lay off their wearables, but more than 50% of those people would be motivated to keep on wearing it, wearing them if they got a monetary reward Interesting. Uh, for, for, so I think it's not maybe, this is how we kind of like concluded on it is that it's maybe not about the, the, the height of the monetary reward. It's more like people want more gamification within the process of their data. Hmm. And what we are always like really talking about is we have to educate people that the value lays in compounding data, because if you look at from a preventative and predictive health uh, point of view, you want to have big data logs, both horizontally and vertically. For long periods of time, you want a lot of different data about yourself. And that compounding interest will help you to, to stay healthy in, in the long run because you have more information to predict on your, so that's kind of like a new mindset that I think we are not really aware of yet. Uh, and we have to find cool ways to gamify on that kind of like specifics, but I think it's more than only giving out rewards. I, I do believe that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, and this opens up from a business standpoint an opportunity for partnership with these wearables. These companies, I'm sure, are pulling their hair out at users dropping their you know Fitbits after six months. I know I don't think I lasted six months. I probably lasted a month, maybe less, <laughs> with my wearable. So, what is the reason that you that you quit using it? Yeah, I think I just I I the novelty wore off. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, great. I walked that number of steps. Cool. It's, I got the data. I slept, I sleep. And it just, there was no, yeah, the idea of a compounding benefit wasn't there. And uh, the financial reward maybe would change that. Or if the insights changed, if you were able to generate compounding insights, that would be what I would be interested in more than maybe the financial side. So yeah, there's, there's a lot here. The ecosystem vision you have is pretty big. And are you, you're familiar with the UBDI, right? Universal Basic Data Income, that, that concept. Yeah. I know there was a company, an app that launched a couple of years ago that claimed to offer users something like $1,000 a year for basically syncing their wearables data and their data from the help app on the iPhone with research companies that were paying for data to conduct longitudinal, longitudinal studies. There's a lot of opportunities for multiple income streams from this data. Do you have existing partnerships or what, where is the original, where is the first income stream going to come from after you launch? Yeah, so after we launch, we're first going to stay very close to Web3. Uh, we're going to launch an NFT game. Nice. <laughs> we have to stay on brand a little bit. Right. <laughs> and then and then we're going to, to roll out the ecosystem step by step. Mm. And we're first going to start with the concept of activity pools. So it's also in the reward um, space and activity pools can be started out by third parties, for example, lifestyle brands, and they set out a community challenge. Hmm. So for example, let's run 1 million miles together okay. and you have to pay a little entry fee to, to participate in the pool. Also to have some skin in the game and to make sure that you're kind of like motivated to keep on providing for that pool as well. How you contribute to completing the activity pool, you get some of the pool rewards that are provided by the third party. Uh, 
which can be health tokens, can also be a specific NFT that they launched for this for this pool. So this is like a very like the first revenue stream for Helplots because we are charging a setup fee for the for the pool to the to the third parties. And for them, it will be just like their benefits will be just marketing, like mm. brand awareness, dipping your toes into the web street space without taking a lot of risks. And so this is kind of like the first angle that we are going to take. And then we are moving towards the health services, which will be more like a tax model, just like the app store portion of the right. transaction fees. Right. And, and then the data pools will be a little bit more similar to the activity pool. Yeah, no, I but, love that. I love data pools. I love the community focused part of it. That's an amazing first yeah. application. Yeah. But for a research institute, for example, I yeah. think it will be pretty interesting because I know research a little bit and I know that they don't have a lot of money. So no. <laughs> I'm not sure that they're willing to pay uh, uh, huge amounts for the data. But right. also then I, I hope that the community vibe in Web3 will say, let's keep the cost low for the research because then we're contributing to to global health, right? Mm. If we are all going to provide our data for a little bit less or other prices than more for the commercial side of things. So I think we will try to find ways to, to make it available for research because that's the way to move forward and and win a, the Health Looks Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going you, to be a thing after today. <laughs> absolutely, no, I love that. And do you have any plans for using Pebble Tracker or are you focusing on software only at this point? No, we are, we are, of course, Double Tracker is our biggest motivations toward the trusted hardware side of things. Yeah. And also the entire machine five vision of IOTEX and the machine five portal, of course. We are in very close contact with IOTEX all the time to see like, how can we integrate those things? Because we truly believe in that vision and the vision of help labs. And, and I think the products that we are focused on, we are, they are like very horizontal, of course, making a tag layer and infrastructure, building an infrastructure. And we are very vertical of, uh, of prevention and a healthy lifestyle. But I think on a fundamental level, we can really find each other about like data ownership, data control, and democratizing the value of the data. And we are, you no, know, we are looking every almost every day like how can we integrate those things? Um, it's always like a battle like when can you really start using it? But yeah, no, definitely uh, on, on the books to to get those integrations going. Yeah, and this is where IOTEX, I think, shines as it's the only blockchain where you actually have a hardware, secure hardware element that can capture real-world data and directly transfer it on-chain without going through a centralized third party. And that's completing the full circle of the Web3 vision into the physical world, which for health data is a perfect application. So HealthBlocks, you guys really personify the MachineFi vision in every way. When I was working full-time at IOTEX, in early 2020, HealthBlocks was, we talked about it internally as an example of, you know, what this can look like. And the scale of your vision is really exciting. It's almost unlimited in terms of what you guys are imagining. And so it's really exciting that you have an app. I think it's in beta now. Yeah, so the app is in, in beta now and it's going to, you can download it. Everybody can download it on Apple and, and it's now like pretty simple. Like you can get rewarded for the, uh, for completing three health goals and there's very basic data visualization and integrations with, with Google Fit, Fitbit and Garmin. Uh, Apple Health is coming within a couple of weeks. So also nice. your Apple Watch, for example, you can now connect through Google Fit and then towards Hellblocks. But it's and the tokens that are now are going to be swapped for the real tokens once we go live. So we want to, of course, reward 
the early adapters that are now testing out. And we're really excited that we can just really get started. We are a group of people that are working on it. We want to take it step. We have a great vision, but we want to take it step by step and just building and testing out. That is the most fun part of it all. And so we're really happy that, that people can just, you know, start using it and giving us all their feedback, honest feedback, yes. <laughs> which is very good. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, lots of honest yeah. feedback. And when is the app going to go live, so to speak? Yeah, so we hope uh, before the end of this year that the main yeah. version goes live. And then we'll be adding the uh, the NFT game and then also the token will go live. Mm, nice. Of course, there are a couple of things that are out of our control as well. Like everything that's going on now, I think the entire world is pretty on fires. It can be that something changes in that, but our, our mindset is on releasing and, and launching in this year. Yeah, and what makes me very optimistic about you guys is you have a very long-term global focus. Because what can happen, and we see this with projects all the time, is they'll launch an NFT game or a token and you have exponential growth. And suddenly we're talking about hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars that are just being generated. And it's almost impossible for a human being in this modern world not to be totally taken in and consumed by just that financial magnet that just drags you in. And the scale of the growth is just unparalleled for some of these projects and hopefully that's a problem that you guys have i, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> just given seeing what happened with step in and i think you guys are way better than step in for a lot of reasons but that's my personal opinion but yeah how do you have you thought about that how do you how will you prepare for or respond to an exponential growth let's say you have a five billion dollar health token market cap within a month are you ready for that spotlight for that the pressure oh i hope so yeah no i think that is something that we are also we have a good luck that we have like the the, the co-founder team that we are having now the core team that we are really down to earth maybe it's the benefit that we are like the dutchies like really down to earth dutchies but and also as you said we have a long-term vision and yeah. we talked about this so long and it's also if you look at the roadmap of how blocks we started in 2019 2020 thinking really seriously about how blocks and it had a couple of different shapes and forms over time. And it was only until the second half of last year that we really started building because then we, we had the confidence that the tech was ready, that the conditions were ready to start building this out. And we had already, we invested already so much time and energy now in, in thinking out how the ecosystem should evolve and should look like. And I'm pretty sure, pretty, um, realistic that probably some of those visions will change. When you start like the practicality of things, you have to adjust and be flexible, of course. But I think we have it like very crystal clear in our minds, like where it has to go to. And I hope that will help to cope with the pressure and mm -hmm. stay focused on, on what we want to be and what we want to achieve. And for us, that is really clear. And there's no doubt about that, that mm -hmm. what we, where we want to go. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. that will keep our feet on the ground for sure. Yeah. And I think just the sign of that is you waiting to do a token launch and doing it the right way and having your values in place and your priorities straight. That's very positive and, and comforting 
Yeah. With that being said, what do you think, listeners, what's the best way to get involved? Join Telegram, download the app, any other ways to get involved with help? Yeah, of course. Yeah, download the app. Most important thing, start earning some help and savings. Telegram channel, we have um, an official group and also one for the for the better support if you need some support um, during the app. Um, and Twitter, those, those are the main channels that we are having now at the moment. Nice, nice. Yeah, and we love to hear from everybody how they are uh, experiencing it and they miss or what they see in the, in the app or how mm-hmm. it should look like. And I think that, uh, that is by far the most inspiring thing in this entire adventure that we're on now is that you can be so kind of technically close to everybody involved, even though it's Telegram and stuff like real life, of course, but we love uh, getting in touch with everybody. and. That is so global as well. Mm. All the healthcare projects that we are know, and and also, so for our other company, we we are advising the government of the Netherlands as well in, in prevention and preventative health, and we're always talking about those different groups in society and everything. But Web three can like get all those groups and everybody. It's just a big melting pot from people all around the world uh, with different perspectives on life. So we love to hear them and, and incorporate them in, in help as well. So. Mm. Everybody, please feel free to, to reach out and, and get involved in, in the entire process of, of help blocks. Yeah, and I love the fact that you have a, a philosophy major as a co-founder. I think there's a dearth of, uh, of philosophical yeah. thinking in this industry, so uh, that's really cool. And I guess one final question while I have you here. So in terms of the healthcare systems of the Netherlands versus the United States, I, I've heard that the Netherlands has some of the best healthcare in the world. What do you think the U.S. can learn from the Netherlands? Do you think it would, the system in the Netherlands would work in the U.S.? Or is there some fundamental difference? What, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, so we do have a very good healthcare system. It's accessible for everybody. Um, we pay a monthly insurance fee of around, for Dutch, this is very high already, but I think for the US, it's very low, between 120 and 200 euros a month. And then you have um, kind of like full access to everything. You don't have to pay uh, a little bit of your own risk, but it's up to 500 a year. Compared to the US, those yes. numbers are pretty good. But that's People what a Tylenol are... costs in the US hospital. <laughs> yeah, 500 exactly. euro. <laughs> yeah. So, but the thing is, our system is not sustainable. And I think that is something that we are learning all over the place. Like none of the systems are sustainable at the moment because the pressure of the healthcare systems is so big. Uh, also in the Netherlands, and, and we've seen it during nowadays, one in six people have to work in healthcare to get everything rolling. And we have to move towards one in four. And there's already a, a big shortage in, in personnel and it's not getting better anytime soon. So I think... Of course, it has to do with aging populations. We have very much aging populations everywhere, which is pressuring um, the systems. But I think chronic diseases and lifestyle-related diseases are like such a big cause of, of people needing for healthcare. Because how the costs are going up now, we say like within 20 years, the, the Dutch government or the Dutch society will not be willing to pay the amount of money that the healthcare system costs. So. Although we have a, are having a very good system, we have to innovate very quickly and very good to, to keep it sustainable and accessible for everybody because now we are on the brink of people falling out of the system, and which is not a good sign. But 
I think it is everywhere, right? It is in the, in the US, the pressure levels are rising. Even in the Scandinavian co- countries, it's rising. And I think the, co- the biggest cause is that so many people need healthcare to, <laughs> to get to their day to day. Yeah. It's more also like a philosophical uh, question, like how are we going to approach health, healthy lifestyle yeah. and long-term diseases um, with everybody? And yeah, that is a pretty big question, of course, but I think we have to address them because we're, we are getting in some big troubles. Yeah, and there's a few things going on here. One is the demographic shift. I think the US and Europe in particular will see major population declines over the next 50 years just because of birth rates. And also the expansion of the um, health system to include mental, which is probably the number one kind of generational shift in how the views of health in the general populace are changing. Psychological health is being prioritized, sometimes even above physical health. Do you have a plan for integrating mental health data? Is that even possible? Uh, Yeah, 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 it is. It is. It is definitely a plan to integrate mental health in the health service. The question is like, how much data can you gather about somebody's mental health, which is pretty hard. But on the other hand, there will be some clues, right? For example, heart rate variability, HRP, can say something about mental health. But I know also a couple of very cool AI uh, projects, sensing like the the pressure that you're giving on your phone screen, like when you're typing and everything, is a very big predictor for your mental health. And I know, I don't know the name anymore, but there's one project that even kind of like links that to, to mental health support as well, that it's a really good predictor for, for like mental crisis when you're probably typing like really hard and aggressively Whoa. or something. So I think there will be some pretty cool innovations coming out there that can give us some clues and all the data combined to say something about our mental health. Wow. Fascinating. How does HRV correlate with mental health? I've never heard that before, actually. So when we are under a big stress, which can be like physical stress, but also mental stress, it can be that your HRP will be, will be dropping as well. The hard part of it is always kind of like one thing. It's also, it's always, always, you have to see it in like a bigger picture. But I think if you have like that bigger picture and that somebody is, for example, HRP is going down, the amount of steps that somebody's taking is going down. So somebody is not leaving the house anymore, or you can gather some clues within the data that says, Hey, how are you doing? Are you still doing okay? Or is there something going on? And maybe then the, the, the pressure on your phone screen, I don't know. I, but I think there will be some, some very smart people that come up with, with some mental health data predictions, predictions, but even more important, I think for now is like mental health services, because we don't need a lot of data to see that there are are a lot of health mental health issues in in a lot of in a lot of places for sure for sure yeah one one interesting application was that amazon's where would actually track your tone of voice in conversations and, yeah, and tell I you i thought that was fascinating yeah it know. was fascinating but also very creepy Pretty. i think you could even you can you they say you can use it to train for, for interviews that you were having or something like how your tone of voice was yeah. coming across to somebody else yeah it's mental fascinating <laughs> right 